Warning. The following podcast will contain spoilers for not only the game being discussed this week, but any games in the series, other games made by the same creative team, movies and TV shows that might be related or based on the same material or based on the game itself, movies and TV shows that might just be kind of related, pretty much anything we bring up on this show, you can count on it being spoiled, and this is your last warning. Alright, thanks for listening. Hello everyone, and welcome again to Pac-Man's Search for Meaning, a podcast about video games and maybe the ethics and narrative themes therein. I'm Pan, they, them, and I'm your gamer host. And uh, I'm Hannah, uh, she, her, and I'm your narrative uh, themes host. Yeah, I like this new categorization that we've sort of found ourselves in. I I didn't know that was happening, but I like it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it's not right, but. Yeah, because we're, we're, you know, I I believe in you, you believe in me. I don't like, categories are great. I was about to say I don't like categories, but they're good. Yeah. Nothing wrong with categorization. I mean, we <laughs> are trying to categorize things or at least, you know, put names to things. Absolutely. Here, so 100%. It's just a useful exercise. The thing we're trying to pin down today is a favorite of mine, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt uh, 2015 game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, God, there is, it's just so much game. One of the most games that there is. Easily a a hundred hour playthrough. I haven't sat through those hundred hours, but I agree with you. It is an incredibly huge game, and there's just so many, like, nooks and crannies, all the characters. There's just so many characters. Uh, Some of them matter, some of them don't matter. Mm. There's there's just a lot of, um, lot of world and story. There's a very... A thoughtful story, I think. Certainly. Yeah. More than most things. Let's, you know, before we get into too much, um, can you give us the bare bones summary of this thing? Okay. This is the very barest. This is not going to be everything. There's so much story, like we just said. And I apologize if you're like, but you didn't mention this. This is the basics. So The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is a third person open world action role play game released in 2015. It is the third installment in the Witcher series. It's developed by the Polish developer CD Projekt Red. Uh, so this game is based on the short stories and novels uh, by Andrzej Sapkowski. In The Witcher 3, you play as Geralt of Rivia, a monster hunter. You are a witcher, and we'll talk more about what a witcher is. After receiving a message from your former love interest, Yennefer, you travel with your mentor, Vesemir, to meet her. You then find yourself in this adventure to find your adopted daughter siri because you believe that she's in danger spoiler she is in danger Mm. and she is being pursued by the wild hunt the wild hunt is a mysterious group of uh these like spectral you know riders creepy guys uh from another dimension along the way you come across allies from your past that take you on various other side adventures you also learn that along the way that the Wild Hunt's goal is to take Ciri's elder blood powers to prevent 
a cataclysmic force called the White Frost from destroying uh, their homeworld, but also you find that you, you have to stop the White Frost as well from destroying your world. So there you go. That's the basics as I was able to fit into a nice little paragraph. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's pretty much everything. So I guess we can move on now. Um, that's good. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. Bye. See you later. Just no. Kidding. So you, I mean, we're we're dancing around it, but it's just ridiculous. I mean, especially we're gonna do this a lot if you keep listening, everybody. And I guess on some level, I'm sorry, but also I don't care. This is the third game in a series, which is technically on a somewhat different continuity than the novels and short stories and stuff. But you know, it is drawing from the lore of all that. So we're kind of coming in with a lot behind us, but. I don't know whether it's this or like, I don't know, starting at Elder Scrolls Oblivion or stuff like that. I often just don't care about the first uh, things in a series. And this is one where it's a little confusing and you might find yourself thrown off by not knowing all the background stuff, but you can get into it without too much trouble. But like... Before we talk, you know, too much about um, what what we do here, what we're here to talk about, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, what's the essential background lore stuff beyond the bare bones thing? Because, you know, this is a it's a sort of magical world, right? Mm -hmm. um, whether it's the stuff with the wild hunt or the monster hunting and all that, which is all rooted in a thing that I still don't actually have all the background on, but. To put it simply, what is this? It's like it takes place in what is essentially like a analog for thirteen hundred ish Europe, yeah, Central Europe, and there's part of it's kind of like Ireland or Scotland. Mm hmm. I mean, the books from the little research I did, I I will fess up and say I haven't read the short stories or the books were heavily borrowed from Polish fairy tales. So they're taking from a certain aesthetic, a certain, you know, place in the world. Definitely has looks of medieval, I think would be like the right term for kind of where we're at in the the get ups and the the clothing and the 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 look of what's going on and also kind of the types of stories that are that are brought up. I mean the wild hunt is something that comes up in kind of multiple stories and things like that this is not like a new enemy i guess the other thing is like not only is it the types of stories being told but it is it's playing off of tropes that are you know to varying degrees true or untrue about i guess what we thought about the general outlook of people in this time in the real world whether it's you know their relationship to religion or their thoughts on women or we were talking just before this because there aren't really like people of color and uh, people of other maybe persecuted religions don't really come up in this but it's sort of supplanted by like elves and dwarfs and um other sort of more fairy tale stuff and they kind of take on the bigotry that you know usually non-white christian people um face in our world yeah i mean there are like there's social hierarchy that exists in this game that that definitely kind of shows that like there are people that are 
higher up the the ladder, people that are lower down, uh, I think the way that like different non-human characters are dealt with, uh, like monsters or like monsters in air quotes, the idea that like there are there are these like entities that are felt that are looked at as dangerous or unwanted. This idea of like the the other is very much like present in the game, and that that you know you may uh, be told by by NPCs that like oh this like creature is is gonna kill us and it's terrible and you need to get rid of it, um, but in actuality like it's it's not the danger that you initially thought it was, and in the gameplay, um, you do not get rewarded for kind of following the discriminatory kind of mob like mentality. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, not to, like, get too far ahead of ourselves, but part of it is a bit of a, I don't know how to say this concisely, but, like, humans are the real monsters, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Interestingly, in the lore, before I I started to say it, but, so the thing, um, conjunction of the spheres, there used to be Earth, and then several other dimensions, um, and they all got smashed together, and you know, things from one dimension got passed into the Earth that is the game. And what's interesting is that before that, the world is populated by, like, elves and dwarves and, I think, like, halflings. And then humans were brought over in the um, conjunction, along with the monsters and some other stuff, and magic, I think. And pretty quickly, the humans just start waging war against the elves and dwarves and whatnot that live there and kind of mostly take over. And by the time, you know, you see in the game, they're like second class citizens most of the time. Yeah, humans are the worst, usually. Yeah. I mean, the same kind of thing happens in Lord of the Rings, where like hobbits are just living their lives. Elves just kind of want to chill, you know, and then like uh, dwarves have their their own kind of vibe in the mountains doing their thing. And then uh, humans do bad stuff. I mean, they can be virtuous and they can do heroic things. They got high highs, but they got low lows. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, the idea that like humans are uh, just, I don't know. They mess up. They do bad stuff. Yeah. Often. We could all just be having a good time. And then man comes in. Ugh. Ruins the party. <laughs> Worse. We've all been there. All been there. What else is... Uh, oh, so the other thing that's... Or, I mean, there's two other things. One of the other things is that prior to starting this game, there's um, a significant amount of like war happening in the region, both like kind of internal clashes between... I guess this is... It essentially takes place in an amorphous sort of region called the Northern Realms, which is like a bunch of sort of loosely related states who all have their own interests and disagreements with one another. Um, And it's, you know, it's already in turmoil. I think in the previous game, your character Geralt maybe was part of a, um, a coup that saw the former king of one of the places killed. And so now, you know, it's ruled over by his son who given that that coup was largely orchestrated by the sorceresses, um, he, not rightfully, obviously, but he does have a pretty significant bias against magical people, which is leading, you know, in part to their 
widespread persecution at the time of the game. And all while that's happening, um, Nilfgaard, a separate region that is just a, a very, like, expansionist imperial sort of thing. I mean, they are an empire. Um, they are trying to push into the northern realms, and so they're waging a war on that front. The emperor, Amir, happens to be the biological father of your adopted daughter, Siri. I don't even know when we need to get into, like, the law of surprise <laughs> and how oh, Geralt man. ends up Just watch the adopted the father. TV show. Just watch The Witcher, and it'll be explained to you. It's... Yeah, the TV <laughs> show. I mean, again, you know, this is... It's all... It's At this point, it's almost like three somewhat different continuities, because the TV show gets a lot of things right, more so maybe in season one, but a lot of things wrong. That's why our boy Henry Cavill is out of the picture, and that's Poor messed Henry. up. But yeah, he's going to make a Warhammer show now, which is his real passion. <laughs> so I'm happy for him. I, I love that for him. Yeah. Follow your heart. He's not Superman either. So like that's I'm fine with that also. Yeah. I'd be amazed if they beat that casting choice, but we'll see. I don't know. I don't care. I, don't... I didn't watch any of the movies. So. No, no, no. I don't think you can have. I think we should just move on from Superman being like a human live action like I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a a Superman. I mean, I saw the like Christopher Reeves, but like I don't know. That's like campy. That's like its own thing. Yeah. In any case, we're not talking about Superman. <laughs> Moving on. We're not talking about Superman. Talking about the Witcher, who is you know super in his own way. <laughs> Hell, what else do we need to explain? Witchers, they're monster hunters. They're genetically modified through some kind of alchemy, specifically for the purpose of hunting monsters. Yes. There's not a lot more to it than that. It's well, an incredibly dangerous process. This does happen to them as children. I think that's yes. important. And that's part of the thing. Okay, shit, you know, do I have to talk about the law of surprise? So the thing is, with witchers, <laughs> okay. basically their main recruiting strategy is this thing called the law of surprise, which is, I mean, it's start. you already have to have a witcher. And so whatever witcher you've got, they're walking out in the world. They save someone from a horrible monster. And if that person either can't pay them or the witcher can just invoke this if they want to, they say, I guess it's basically give me the thing you find when you get home that you don't expect. And often that's a child. That's they probably have other ways of getting children too, but whatever they, you know, they rack up children, they train them to be witchers. And then they put them through this very dangerous, like alchemical, process which kills a lot of them mm -hmm. and the ones who survive they're basically they have almost no other choice but to go on the path they call it which is you know go out into the world and be a mo wandering monster hunter because they've been transformed into what a lot of people in the in this world consider freaks so yep. what else are they gonna do people don't like them i mean they like them when they kill the monsters but they're not they're, uh, they're, I don't know, they're ostracized to a certain extent. They're where, you know, regular people are wary of them. Um, yeah. For more of like superstition or, and the fact that they're like this, these, these emotionless just killers. And we know that Geralt has a, a heart of gold. So that's not true. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like they're presented or they're thought of as emotionless and like the mutations are meant to strip them of some emotions 
along with basically giving them low level superpowers and like healing abilities. But um, Geralt is like very obviously an emotional person. He's just stoic. Same with the other witchers you meet, like Vesemir and yeah. Lambert and Eskel. You don't have to be showing your emotions to not to you know. That doesn't mean you don't have them. And also, if everyone was like, you don't have an emotion, you wouldn't go around, you know, dramatically showing your feelings. Yeah, typically not. And that's why he has uh, his sort of sidekick character, Dandelion, who, I mean, by his very nature as a bard, is um, an emotional creature. Yeah. He can just show everyone how Geralt is actually feeling. He'll sing a song about it. Yeah. Sometimes it's a banger. Who knows? (laughs) But okay. Let's see. Last thing. Did I already say there's kind of a like religious fervor being whipped up by this kind of zealous group who I can't remember what they're called, but effectively, you know, they're very anti-magic, anti-non-human creatures. Um, and so there's a lot of witch hunting and uh, burning at stakes and what have you. Lame. Boring. Yeah. With that out of the way, I don't know. What, what was your relationship to this game before we s- planned on talking about it? Um, so I, I, this is one of the few games I've actually played. I played it way back when it came out. I played a lot, a good chunk of it. I know I didn't finish playing all of it. I think I made it like, like half ish way through. Um, but I've seen the whole, I've watched other people play the whole game and I saw, I saw two different people play that the game. Wow. And it's, I mean, it's one of those games that like. I don't know, from my from my perspective and the way that I engage in video games is easy to just like watch people play. It is yeah. very cinematic. There's a story going on. There I mean there's combat mm. and there's there's like travel and stuff, but there's often sure. some sort of story progression happening. Mm. So yeah, I don't know. It was, it was again, it was one of those few games that I actually played myself. It's not I found it like not super difficult to play. Which I think is sometimes why I don't play video games, because I'm not like very dexterous or, you know, I'm not good at playing video games. Sure, it's a weird skill. It's exactly, but um, not to say that like you know that's th- that all video games sh- that this is just one of those games that like speedy uh reaction time is like not necessarily necessary. Right. How many t- ki- times can I say necessary? I don't know. um but yeah i and i and i um enjoyed playing the game and i i watched the show but that's not the game so i don't know that's yeah but you know yeah i did like the show too i it's gonna come up maybe um as we continue this i don't really watch shows but i do enjoy fantasy stuff and i watch the witcher partially because i love this game i think i played the whole thing, including both DLCs, twice, and then one time just the main non-DLC story again. So put a lot of hours into The Witcher. Done, I think, almost everything there is to do, except crafting. Never got into crafting. Sorry. That's okay. I I didn't either, but that's not surprising. Can't blame you. <laughs> Waste of time. You can get through the whole game without it. Same with oils. It's... um. You just don't need them. Mm-mm. I'm I'm very much one of those players that like if I can skip a thing, I'm gonna skip the thing. Absolutely. That's if it's not like talking to someone or a cutscene or 
I don't know, a cool place to see. I'm just not going to do it. Like the, um, what's the the card game in this game? Gwent. I did not get good at Gwent. <laughs> so my first time through, I didn't play Gwent at all. I was like, there's a couple times when you're basically forced to, but other than uh-huh. that, I didn't play it. But second time through, I got into Gwent and um, it's kind of a fun game. It's like if Magic the Gathering was um, incredibly stupid. Oh. I mean, it's. No offense, it's stupid in its own right, but um, yeah, 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 like a completely unbalanced, dumbed down version of Magic: The Gathering. I mean, it does seem like of all the games, like in-game games that there are, it is. I I feel like they did put some effort into like making it its own game because I feel like a lot of times they're like, we're gonna have a game in the game. It feels more like a punishment. Like, how dare you make me play this dumb game in this game? But as much right. as I was never going to play Gwent, it seemed like they did put an effort into making it worth your time to a certain extent, which is a rare yeah. little gift. Yeah. Thank you, CD Projekt Red. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Sorry. Right now, I'm looking for a tweet just to send us into um, the actual discussion part of this. And I just can't find it because Twitter is a Oh, it's melting right down. Now. It doesn't work. I mean, I think there's going to be a certain point when, like, it just doesn't function like it should. I hope so. <laughs> oh, man. The day Twitter just stopped working. Yeah. God, I'm not going to keep looking for this. We're trying to have a conversation. But it's effectively um, a tweet from Twitter user at Celibacy, which is spelled like celibacy, but with a K at the beginning. And she writes... Uh, the Witcher 3 is basically like that movie pitch from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia about the guy who can smell crime. Okay. Because <laughs> that's pretty much what you do okay. in this game. You try to smell crimes or, I mean, monsters. You spend too much time following stink lines. And then, not to get too blue, but the other part of that pitch that Dennis was making was there's a lot of to use his term full penetration oh, um, I didn't know we were going to talk you know what I might I didn't know this out. is where this now. that's going to make it worse don't do that uh, yeah there's a lot of sexual intercourse yes um, Can we talk which about again romance? is a pretty big feature in this game and I don't know. I mean, is that where we want to start? Like, it's <laughs> I mean, a it's a weird component it. of the game. You brought it up. Uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Let's. T- we don't we- have to stick with it, but I was planning on getting to it eventually. Um. Let's let's start with romance. Sure. I because well okay let's start with like the very beginning of the game because we very quickly meet in a dream sequence, but it's still the way the game decides to start with. Geralt in a tub looking good, but we just, we see his face, we see his feet, we see like his torso a little bit. And then we see Yennefer in the beginning. She's naked. <laughs> um, what? what? Uh, <laughs> and that's how we start the game. We're like, hey, this is, and then there's this lovely scene with, but I mean, it's a dream, so it's sad, but like young Siri is there and it's like training and Vesemir's there and it's this like lovely little memory. But like that's how they decide to start the game. <laughs> with, right. With naked Yennefer. The second time we meet yeah. Yennefer, 
Uh, we don't see her face first. We see, like, her thigh and, like, behind. Mm. So, like, that's cool also. <laughs> yeah. I, I think excellent. there's a certain amount of, like, the male gaze going on in this game. Yeah. Not 100% of the time, but certainly when we're, like, there's certainly a, a good dose of that. So Jennifer is, like, obviously one of our main love interests. Yeah. But we don't have to pick her. No. You can pick Triss as your main love interest. Right. And she's wearing all her clothes the first time we meet her, which is yeah, very true. classy. She is, I would say, considerably less sexualized than Yennefer. Yeah. She's usually, she's usually wearing, like, I mean, she's when we meet her and, and throughout the game, she's wearing uh, utilitarian clothing, like clothes that make sense for her to mm, do her yeah. job and, like, move around in the world. Unlike Yennefer, who's, like, wearing skin-tight leather the whole time. Which, you know, leather's good. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. <laughs> it also does point to, I mean, I guess it's it's a bit of a character-building thing. Is that the right word? Whatever. It tells you a lot about them, like, their clothes. Or it, it relates mm -hmm. to their characters. Because, you know, Yennefer has managed to stay in high standing and continues to be, like, a, um advisor to... The royalty, I guess, um, which is what sorceresses did pretty much all the time until they had to go and ruin it by trying to do a coup, and now everyone distrusts them. I mean, and Triss, you know, basically um, is uh, a victim of that new distrust, and so she's living basically in poverty, just trying to get by, doing her job, yeah, the old-fashioned way with magic, yeah, you know how you do, yeah, you can pick one of them. So, like, throughout the game, you can make different choices and pick one of them. If you try to pick both of them, they both are like, no, thank you. Get away from me. Yeah. Which is one thing. But you can have as many brothel workers and side quest romances as you want. And neither Triss or Yennefer care. So. Yeah, they don't seem to. No. So, like, it only matters between the two of them. So your main, main two but you can have, I think there's up to 10 other ladies you can do it with that don't count. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, shoot your shot, love it. But there certainly are, like, particular relationships that matter to the game. Yeah. And I don't know. So that's, it's it's so not important. But, I mean, like you said, it's basically how you enter into the game with this dream sequence related to your romance. And it comes up a lot. Which one are you going to pick? Are you going to mm -hmm. go with Yennefer mm -hmm. or Triss? Mm -hmm. A lot of a lot of discussion about that. I don't know. It's also, uh, basically, Yennefer is like your canonical partner. And you are effectively like, there was a point, I think in this game, you were like destined to be together. There's some kind of genie wish. And then you um, undo that using magic so that you can see if you still are in love after that. Yeah. I mean, that's I, cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you want to be. I mean, love is great. I'm here for it. Love, love it. Love the love. It is interesting, like how much of the how much of the narrative is like tied to this romance. Mm. And like, if you if you're just looking up The Witcher Three, if you're on YouTube, if you're on just Google, you can't go far without it being like, which love interest did you pick? Here's the choices mm. you have to make to. Here's the playthrough to get this answer. Uh, if you go on like the fandom page, 
it's one of like the sections is just, you know, romantic partners. So it's definitely right. like very important to like what's happening in the game. This is uh, central to you as a, as Geralt has to get a, a, a beautiful love or not at the end, but you got to care about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, more so than almost any game. Unless it's like a dating sim. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, for the games that we're mostly going to talk about, whether it's like Skyrim, that's just like you can pick a wife. Mm -hmm. And there's some that have more character than other, but it has almost no impact on the game. Bioware games like Dragon Age and Mass Effect make a bigger deal of it. But again, it's not like you have to. You can completely ignore that. Mm -hmm. uh, in the, the uh, Metal Gear Solid, like you are flirtatious with everybody, uh, which is gross, but, like, uh, it's not, like, that big of a deal most of the time. You're not thinking about, like, oh, man, I gotta I gotta pick which love interest I gotta get with soon. It's just not really a big deal. You got bigger yeah, fish to fry. definitely. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's our job here to say, what does it mean? And what does it mean that your your two big choices are... Triss and Yennefer, who respectively are a pretty nice, they're, look, they're both, like, gorgeous ladies. Mm -hmm. No two ways about it. But Triss is nice and um, more immediately likable, but is often, obviously, manipulating you. Um, and Yennefer is kind of past that, you know, in her station. But she's mean to you. She is um, mean to you. She's just a cold-hearted person. Yeah, no, she is not as nice. She's very, com I mean, they're competent people. They both do their job of whatever, you know, their goals they can, like, accomplish. So they're not, like, fem, uh, not fem fatales. They're not, um, I don't know, uh, characters that you're having to, like, save or, um, uh, yeah, look out for because damsels they're, like, in distress. damsels in distress. That's the phrase. <laughs> Because I was like, wilting, I don't know. I, anyways, they're not damsels in distress. Neither of them. And they seemed that they will be fine if Geralt just, like, disappeared. But they would be kind of bummed. Like, he's a useful yeah. person to know. And also, like, uh, they like him or or don't, I don't know. They seem to be into him. <laughs> so. Yeah. But, I mean, I think there is something interesting in how much the game wants you to know that, like, Geralt can get it. Geralt can absolutely get a lady all the time. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, he is he is masculine, but he's also, like, I don't know, way fairly sexual. Yeah. Which I think, uh, I guess, feels like, I don't know, fantasy can sometimes be fairly, like, prudy. Like, oh, man, you know, we love each other very much, but we're just not going to, like, do it. <laughs> we're yeah. going to keep it classy. The Witcher's like, it doesn't matter. Like, get it on. Like, we're, we we want to do it. We're going to do it. Come on. Come, come on over. Right. Yeah, it's sort of, it's like, I mean, in a lot of ways, to point to the two other Titanic fantasy things, it's like, at least in this respect, halfway between Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I, I will say that, like, the sexual relationships all seem consensual. 
that Geralt, like, yeah. Geralt's relationships are always, like, up front, like, hey, you want to do it? And, like, everyone high fives and it's great. Right. Not to say that that's not the, the case for everyone in the universe of The Witcher, but it is less, I don't know, it is, it is somewhere kind of in between. And with, like, Lord of the Rings, everyone is very polite and looking into yeah. each other's eyes longingly. Mm, yeah. Slow kisses. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's <laughs> as far as it gets, really. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess kid, they just have kids. Yeah. Nobody knows how. Exactly. Like, I don't know. The mystery of life. Love it. The circle of life. Yeah. What a beautiful story. Wow. So beautiful. So beautiful. Here's the other. I don't know. This is This is very unstructured the way this is gonna unfold but it doesn't matter you know who cares um so with that out of the way kira metz she's another sorceress i don't know if you got to her in your playthrough or whatever but yeah so she's one of the few other actual characters that Geralt can sleep with is she the one that makes him food like a dinner or is that another one? Yes. Yeah, yeah they yeah, have yeah, a yeah. little picnic. And yeah, they you can, you know, uh, Make hook sweet up. love. <laughs> like, yeah. You could hook up. Yeah. And she is also, in her introduction in this game, you're like searching out in the woods and you had heard tell of some kind of um, witch in the area. So you go thinking that maybe it's a lead. It ends up being her. She's like talking to some villagers. As soon as they leave, you follow, you try to follow her into her little hut. And then you go through a portal and she's like in some weird bath, you know. She quickly becomes undressed um, just for you. But she represents, like, she more clearly represents the thing that, like, a lot of the, um, female characters in this game pretty much all of them on some level other than like siri have going on you know what that's not fair a lot of the sorceresses though it's like part of their lore that they are using their appearance and sexuality to manipulate people the time that she makes you dinner you know and you like fall asleep that is in part in an effort to get you out of the way so that she can go i think she's trying to steal some research some very unethical research that had been done. I mean, you know, ladies, they're just always using their bodies for evil sorcery. Classic. Yeah, that's true. Classic uh, man-eater. <laughs> I mean, I think as much as this game is in some ways trying to, like, have the female characters be competent and in charge of stuff and central to the plot, they are sexualized in a way that... um and I mean, Geralt gets a little bit of sexualization, but there, there's like a manipulation that is inherent to a lot of it. That is, I mean, I think there's like, I don't, I don't exactly how to articulate this, but a certain type of like cool girl that's like in video games, like, oh yeah, she's really good at shooting stuff, but also look how hot she is. Uh, right. That is kind of happening. That is happening in this game as well. That is, you know, I don't know, like an effort to be like, well, she's, she's, look, she's a good, she's good at magic. That's, that's how much we respect her. We respect this character, so we're going to make her good at magic. Right. But also, like, 
Well, she's got to use her feminine wiles sometime, right? She's got them. Got to use those skills to seduce dumb, dumb Geralt. Hmm. With that, you know, and I don't know. I guess there's like the, is it worse that there's essentially like a lore explanation that sorceresses are essentially taught to do that? Um, you know, I, I don't think that makes it better. It's almost, it's just like adding it into your lore that I'm going to have women in my series that are like way more sexual than they need to be. Yeah. I mean, it explains it away. It makes it feel like there's an, like there's a good reason for it. You build it in. So it's, it feels logical within like the logic of the game. Right. But, um, it's, it's, it's kind of just building an, an excuse for, cool magic girls to be naked um, yeah so and then having Geralt be kind of naked a couple times um you're like well it's mm. only fair he's you see his you know his chest a couple times and his feet and you know he's naked a couple times you do um, I think you see his butt you do you do you do which I mean you know uh I'm I'm all for like everyone getting naked in movies and having sexual content is is totally fine but i think having it be like built into the lore and it's i I think the way that it's kind of shown is very much more uh i want to see a hot chick do cool stuff yeah feels yuckier to me yeah and Geralt being naked is more of a novelty right yeah but okay that said i guess what you know in the game and having these decisions you know between Either not Triss or Yennefer, your sexual activity aside from them, but more more importantly, your relationship to those two. Having that be a central thing and having you need to kind of, in a game mechanic sense, hit certain marks to um, ultimately end up with one of them. What does that reinforce? What does that say? I mean, it's... I don't know. The... <laughs> Hanjay and then the writers of these games, in turn, seem to have some ideas about women and sexuality and, you know, the where those things meet. You know, women and sexuality in their relation to men. Uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I guess what it, it brings to mind for me is, I don't know. I mean, I think there's like certain things in the story where you're like, if there's going to be a woman in it who's, like, important, she should also be a sexual creature and, like, an object of desire. Um, not every female character, not every woman in the game is that, but, like, the big ones that we care about. With, like, I guess the exclusion of Siri, she doesn't have any, like, romance that's, like, that we know of. Yeah, although even her, it's they kind of make a point of um in one of the sections where you're focused on her and not Geralt, you end up in this like small village, um, I guess in Skellige. You had been injured and maybe like teleported there. And some kind of dopey farm boy type is there while she's resting up and healing and not fully clothed and kind of like has a thing for her and you know, her navigating that is like a small subplot. Yeah. And she's also like, you know, the way she's like designed as a character, like physically. I mean, she's very pretty and like her outfits are like somewhere in between the practicality of Tris and uh, Yennefer. I mean, she's like a, a female 
object that you want to look at as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think she gets, she's not like totally devoid of, um, yeah. So like, I, I mean, we, we want the female characters to be like good to look at, or at least that, that seems to be like the, the goal of the aesthetics, aesthetics of this game. Yeah. It's a little bit divided between good to look at ladies and literal crones. Yeah. There's no in between. I mean, there's a couple like totally fine looking bartenders and stuff. But like our main people, you're like, you're either absolutely hideous or smoking hot. Yeah. And there's, gosh, I forget her name now, but she's the um, wife of the bloody baron character who you meet, who you would meet typically early in the game. And, you know, no offense to her, but she's she's not exactly smoking hot. (laughs) But her kind of role in the story and um, her story in general is very much tied to her relationship to the man, the Bloody Baron, and her being the mother of their child and kind of all the stuff that that's related to that. And then somehow um, ending up in the forest and being the caretaker of a bunch of random orphans when you finally meet her. Yeah, yucky. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, and, you know, I mean, this is this is kind of getting away from the romance thing, but I just had to look this up earlier because I didn't play. I'm typically I, I here's a little background about me. I have a hard time being mean or doing any sort of hurtful stuff in games um, when given the choice. And so even in multiple playthroughs of games, I often do the same things because I don't like to um be mean and usually the choice not usually often the choices are between being mean and not all of that to say um there's some things you can do in the in the subplot with her that can lead to her either dying immediately or turning into um some kind of monster or completely losing her mind and i think the losing her mind thing stems from all of the kids who she had been taking care of in the forest being taken away by these crones to presumably be eaten. I think that's what they do. I mean, I would be upset too, I guess, if all of my orphans got eaten by crones. But Yeah, that would suck. <laughs> that would suck. But it's like so much of her worth is tied to um, first, you know, her child and her miscarried child and then these children that she effectively you know, is kind of forced to adopt. Well, don't you know that women are only smoke shows, uh, mothers, or yucky, yucky crones? Those are the three options. Yeah, I think that's that's what they say. <laughs> that's that's what science says. That's just the way it is. So I yeah. didn't make the law. I, I couldn't say who did, but... <laughs> Not sure. Been with us um, as long as anyone can remember. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. I do think, at least unlike the last thing we talked about, Metal Gear Solid, the women in this game are characters and have thoughts and feelings and motivations and yes. stuff. Full bodies that you get to see all yeah. of it. Whether it's naked or clothed, they have entire yeah, bodies. Yeah. This is true. And I don't know, maybe we'll we'll, as we continue talking, unlock some stuff about what it means that your relationship to one of two women is pretty much like a central feature of this game. But 
it plays into you know i was trying to think of like what are the big things about this game and um it is it's a lot about interpersonal relationships whether it's your romantic relationship to tris or yennefer or you know your kind of adopted father relationship with siri or um your relationship to vesemir who you know is not only your like witcher teacher but kind of a father figure and then the other witchers who are like your brothers just those are like central things and then there's like a ton of side plot stuff that is more about just people and how they relate to other people and the drama and strife and joy that can come from that absolutely i think one particular like strain of that that i i think is that i found interesting was this idea of like parent parenthood and your parentage like who your parents are the idea of like your the biological parent versus adoptive parent your chosen family versus like who made you the idea that Geralt as a child was somehow like brought into this situation of being a witcher uh. and like finding family um and but also like losing family series experience of being kind of, you know used by her her biological father and how important it is how Geralt guides or overprotects Siri as her adopted father and how that affects the game itself the whole kind of endings and things like that right so the idea of like what parents do and how you come into the world and what they do after you're here is is one of those themes that kind of is essential to like the the, the main themes the main plot but also kind uh. of comes up in side quests as well like you were mentioning the yeah the wife of the bloody baron who has all these orphans that she's dealing with who is given this role as parent um and that turns out to you know not turn out so well depending on how that goes yeah, and I mean, okay, we'll circle back probably to um, the Bloody Baron stuff because his relationship with his wife and daughter and their miscarried child is like a central part of what is one of the major acts of the game, um, which you more or less have to interact with on some level. But um, yeah, it was funny just thinking about this and like especially the endings of the game a lot of it boils down to like, I don't know, dad simulator. What you're the kind of dad that you choose to be for Siri affects all of the endings that you can have. Yeah. And basically getting the quote unquote good ending and what seems to be the canonical ending involves being a good dad. Yeah, I think it's it, it is clearly uh, so important to the game or to like the designers, to the developers, that you take the role of father seriously. Yeah. That it does matter. That it changes what happens right. in the game. Yeah. And so this is, is finally hitting the kind of perfect alignment that I, I would hope for. In that I think the game mechanics, um, at least partially, you know, reflect that sentiment and that idea. It's to get the good ending you kind of need to participate in what they're trying to suggest is being a good dad which i guess is it's mostly being supportive and you know letting your adopted daughter have agency but 
doing your best to steer her in a good direction and valuing her over money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and trusting her to be able to handle these situations, thinking of her as her own individual rather than like trying to solve or do things for her or be pa- patronizing about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's the one in the end who's either able to save everyone or and live or not, which is fairly impressive. So to be like to believe in her to to be able to do that. Mm. They also, I think, set it up in a way that like, I guess it's fair enough that like if you're playing this game and you want to you want to take care of this character that you think um, you want to protect her from the like dangers in the world. The lessons is like she has to do it on her own. I think that's pretty nuanced for a, a video game. Sure. There's also what does it say that again part of the being a good dad thing is involves I don't know how to put this other than like a little bit of mischief and kind of lighthearted tomfoolery because <laughs> a couple of the choices you can make are have a snowball fight with Siri just for a little fun to raise her spirits after something who can remember. And then uh, she had been kind of insulted by someone at some point. And so you get the option to like, just wreck up this guy's laboratory again to feel better about it. And that's what being a good dad is, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably, I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I, I don't want to give this game like too much credit. Um, so like, yeah, you know, you have to like believe in your child and like let them fight their own battles and believe of them and you know, don't coddle them, I guess. But also, you know, wreck shit up with your kids. Yeah. Cause you're cool dad and you're fun right. and get rowdy, baby. Yeah. And you as a dad are a professional wrecker of things. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's something kind of believable in, like, if you're a witcher and your thing is that you kill monsters all the time and um, sometimes you beat humans up, too, that, like, Mm. yeah, I guess you would find wrecking someone's laboratory as, like, yeah, this is a reasonable thing to do. I would do this. I'm a witcher. Yeah. Come on, kid. Better than finding the guy and killing him. Yeah, at that point, you're you're being very uh, thoughtful and kind and not killing the... the (laughs) Owner of the lab. Yeah. That's restraint. Mm, true. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably more to say there, and maybe we'll think about it. You know, stuff will develop. But the Bloody Baron, just to get to that, we've been we've just been teasing it for so long. Mm-hmm. The background on that kind of subplot and a few quests tied to it. Is there's this guy called Bloody Baron. He's sort of the de facto ruler of a a pretty war-torn little region that you find yourself in. And he had a wife, still has a wife, I guess. But over the course of their marriage, he, you know, he was a professional soldier. So him being sent out a lot, she not only found comfort in other men while he was gone, but um, for his own part, he became something of a raging abusive alcoholic while he was gone and then brought that behavior back home and um yeah so by the time you meet him he had at some point you know started physically abusing 
his wife, which led to a miscarriage and her, you know, shortly after that taking off, she ends up in the forest taking care of kids. But um, he, you know, the miscarried fetus um, improperly, which leads to a sort of weird magical thing called a botchling. And it's a it's kind of a big decision how you choose to deal with that. Because you can basically um, kill it, I guess. Get rid of it. It's a little monster baby thing. Or you can force... Not force, but, you know, go along with the Baron um, to properly bury the kid and transform it into more of a benevolent creature. And, you know, in effect, atone for all of the bad stuff that led up to that. So, I don't know. Again, it's about about being a dad yeah. and not being a huge piece of garbage. <laughs> sure. I mean I I mean that it that there are repercussions that there are consequences to this violence and that having to kind of actively um engage with it, like the ramifications of it or bring or like forcing the well bringing it to light like here here is here's what's happened there's a life here that's that is now here what do you do with it yeah i don't know how did you do with that um i every time i um did the whole ritual to you know i think you name the kid and give it a proper burial and stuff and uh make it into not a little demon uh, that's nice because it just seems like the right thing to do yeah well, and I guess why why does that feel like it's the right thing to do? Just, I guess it feels respectful. Gosh, you know we can't we definitely can't uh, or shouldn't in this particular podcast get into a conversation of when life begins and sure you know sure is this um, miscarried fetus actually you know um, how how human are we calling it? Although it might relate to what the writers and everything think about. The personhood of a fetus yeah but. i mean it's this isn't like an accumulation of cells this is like a humanoid you know nearly human thing yeah i mean by the time you're dealing with it it's like the size of a one-year-old yeah so you're looking at like a baby what looks like a baby a, f- a weird monstrous but a baby um, yeah unlike what an actual miscarry would look like Right. Which would just be like a non you know, a hard to dis- describe amorphous thing. Um, and right. it would not be the size of a baby and would not look like no, a baby. No, probably not. So there, there is magic afoot. And this was not like a consensual, uh, this was not like, you know, the wife was like, I would like to no longer be pregnant. I, th- I mean, I think the situation changes a, to a little bit because this is a uh, based, Something that is done through violence. So there's like a, I don't know. There's, there's, mm, I don't know exactly how to describe it. Yeah. I don't know. I, that, that is an interesting, like, are they trying to say that no matter like the reasoning, like this is a, a thing that deserves to live. This is an entity that deserves to live. Yeah. Or at least, I mean, deserves some respect. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think it does, it is different since, the miscarry has happened. The fetus is here and there is magic at play. And it is it is like a haunting versus like a 
the uh, currently pregnant wife and is like, all right, we're going to, you have to decide what happens. I mean, I think it is different since it is like outside the body at that point, outside of the wife's body. Yeah. So it does change like the situation. Yeah, I don't know. It's complicated. And trying to like separate this conversation from real world, really significant conversations that could happen about when life begins and abortion and abortion related laws in this country of America that we live in. Just in the world of the game, the Baron had effectively conceived a child and then through his own failings and rage and abuse caused that to be cut short and then subsequently fails to treat that situation with respect which causes a haunting for him and so the choice which seems to at least be the more kind-hearted thing to do in this situation is to well show kindness and respect to this thing which gosh this is getting serious you know but yeah i mean i think you know there's to to say that like no respect is that like giving a fetus respect is saying that like people don't have bodily autonomy i think both those things could be true so i mean i mean just to continue to have it be heavy and complicated you know there is a there is kindness that you can extend to anything that has been i don't i don't know that should not that that i i don't i uh, hmm. i mean that's such like a a complicated situation that the game sets up which is good i mean that's uh complexity is 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 rich and makes the decision harder it's good storytelling mm-hmm. what exactly the the storyteller wants you to like pick you know giving you those options is something that a video game can do and a uh like a story wouldn't be able to do so i think that's also interesting uh, yeah do you get punished for any any of the choices um, you don't know, but it plays into what happens to the Baron, I guess. Although particularly, it's, um, I think the big things that determine his fate are what happens with his wife in the bog and how you treat the whole situation surrounding that. Because any situation where she dies, the Baron ends up killing himself. Oh. Yeah. This is pretty, this is, this is a sad part of the game. Yeah. Also, the other thing about him and fatherhood is that he has a grown daughter. I mean, she's probably in her early 20s or late teens or something. But, you know, mm-hmm. she, when the mom leaves, she also leaves um, and goes out, you know, her own way. And ends up part of this, like, crazy religious group that is partially to blame for a lot of the horrible things that are going on. And so I guess it it does paint the situation as, you know, him being a complete bastard and abusing his family, uh, drives his daughter away, makes her despise him, and rightfully so, and sort of pushes her right into the arms of a, um, a radical religious group, which in turn kind of makes it so... Um, it's another outcome. If she lives, one of the things that can happen, or I think the only thing that can happen if she lives, she being the um the mom, Anna. Yeah, it's Anna. 
the Baron is like, well, she's lost her mind now, so I have to take her up into the mountains to find some, you know, shaman or something who's said to be able to heal people. And the daughter, Tamara, is like, well, I can't go. I've got my obligations to this religious order. And so not only did the Baron force his daughter away from him and into this, or at least prime her to be receptive to these religious zealots, but it also puts her in a position where she um, she is now distant or unable to really spend time with her mom, who she does care for quite a bit. Wow. I mean, I guess it, it uh, does matter if you're a bad uh, parent. Who yeah, knew? being a bad parent is bad. <laughs> it's bad. There are a lot of bad parents, I mean, around in the real world. But, uh, I mean, I, th- I mean, this this game is really, like, interested in the idea that, like, being a bad parent matters. That you can't just do whatever yes. you want. You're going to change the lives of, of, your, of yourself. But this person that you've uh, harmed and the trajectory of their lives. Yes. Let's talk about other two big parenting relationships, which are Amir, the Emperor of Nilfgaard, and his daughter Ciri, and Vesemir, the, you know, father figure of the Witchers, and leader of the Wolf School of Witchers, and, you know, your character Geralt, and the, um, the other two wolf school witchers that you interact with lambert and eskel uh you can pick which one of those threads we go down first um let's talk about let's talk about amir we kind of talked about Geralt a little bit but i mean i think the game um paints this guy as disinterested or even kind of grossed out by the idea of having a child beyond like what he can get out of it like what what's in it for me absolutely not really that interested in um being a parent that seems to be the vibe that i picked up on (laughs) yeah Um, less looking for a daughter and more an heir yeah and and the the less that he can do deal with that um the better really like i don't want to have to do anything other than the benefits that come from having an heir I want that box checked. I don't want to have to do any of this, like, being around them or doing anything <laughs> a parent would do. Yeah, because, I mean, up to this point, he's had, you know, almost no interaction with Siri. No. Um, which, I mean, I think to a certain extent is kind of what we expect from a father in that kind of position as in, like, narratives. Like, children are supposed to be seen and not heard. There's not much like parenting that you expect from a father of this like type. And I mean, he's fairly intense in his disdain of the whole parenting thing. But as like a father, what do you really it's not that surprising that like he would be like disinterested, at least as far as like certain tropes of like fatherhood. Right. And so, again, we kind of have the game taking a very clear stance on what it seems like are good attributes of a father. And I guess, moreover, it's another big thing in the endings that you can get if you... I don't think I ever even... You have the option to, and I never did, bring Siri to meet with him. Oh, and then you get to become the empress of everything? 
I think that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think you can have them talk before there's even the like full outcome. But yeah, you can steer her, you know, towards that and fulfill the job that he gave you, which is to bring her to him, you know, to be his heir. And that's all painted in a pretty negative light. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like kind of a terrible place. I mean, the the royal court world. That does not seem like a happy existence. Or at least it's not like painted as such. It's contentious. It's controlling. Um, it's not it's not loving. This would not be like a family reunion. This would be like for political reasons. And you would be like built. You would be conscripted into that life. Yeah. But again, I guess sort of the gray thing about it, if you could say that there is, you know, a gray area, um, the overall fate of the region is partially or I mean, very much lies in the hands of Amir. And then by extension, if Siri, you know, does fulfill her role as heir in her hands, because, gosh, I might be missing something, but effectively the ways it can play out are. One of the major choices that you have is to assassinate the sitting king, whose name is Radovid, who, you know, is kind of a tyrant and shithead and um, some, you know, some spies and rebels and what have you are conspiring to kill him, which I did at least once because that guy sucks. And depending on how you do that, this guy... um gosh, Deegstra, who is just sort of a manipulator, mover and shaker, kind of half gangster, half spy type, can rise up as the ruler of the area and manage to be strong enough to maintain independence and stave off the Nilfgaardian war effort against them. But pretty much everything else that can happen involves Nilfgaard in one way or another winning and taking control of the region. And what can happen then is either um, Amir remains the the emperor and rules, you know, kind of with an iron fist as you expect an emperor to do. And that kind of sucks. But if you do push Ciri into becoming the heir and subsequent empress, she, by her nature, you know, being not a total asshole, at least rules the area in a somewhat more pleasant fashion. Yeah. I mean, that that's a better outcome for the region. But certainly, I don't know. I think that's a, the idea that, like, you would put your, the region before what you think your child would prefer. Because it seems like, you know, being a witcher seems also kind of lonely and dangerous. Super fun. Killing monsters all over the place. Mm-hmm. Getting a fun baths, you know, periodically. Yeah, yeah. Less uh, stuffy, but um, you know, there's drawbacks. It's not like the easiest job in the world. The the alternative being like in charge of everyone. I mean, that seems kind of fun. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to do it, but and Siri doesn't want to do it either. Exactly. So it's it's the idea that like if Siri, it it's it's following. And listening to like what your kid wants to do and supporting that. Right. And that's more of the thing. I mean, kind of divorced from, I guess, like your 
perception of is the utilitarian good of having a slightly better ruler of the region versus the um, more personal, small-scale good of supporting your daughter and having her, you know, go down the route that she chooses, which is to be a witcher like you. Separate from what you think about that, again, it's it's presented as the good ending, so to speak, for her to be the, a witcher. Yeah, I mean, because it's her, it's her choice. She has agency in that. It's a father listening to what their child wants rather than putting other things ahead of that. Right. Yeah, you know what? I hadn't exactly um, connected these two points, but personal agency and uh, stuff surrounding that, I guess, is it is clearly very valuable to the writers of this game. Not only in all the series stuff, but going back to what we were talking about before, just the way that, um, you know, some people are being manipulated by other people, you know, particularly the the stuff with the sorceresses um, that comes up a lot and is presented to you as like, this is bad. Basically. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of like consent, bodily autonomy, like what you you get to do as a person. I mean, the fact that like the wild or no, that. uh. Yeah, the Aridin, what's his name? The guy who's in charge. Aridin. The guy in charge of the wild hunt. He just he wants the blood of Siri. He just wants her body. He wants a thing in her body, and he wants it, and he's gonna go get it. He's not like, hey, can you help me out? I would like to team up with you. It's like I just I'm gonna I need this. I'm gonna take it. Kind of going back to the idea of like what happens with witchers. I mean, these are children who through no fault of their own um, get turned into this, have to go through this very dangerous. A lot of them don't survive. That's not a consensual experience. Also, uh, we haven't really talked about it, but the way that you can coerce people using magic to tell you things in the game, Uh. that they are not consenting to have magic done to them, and you are extracting the truth from them is, is okay. So it's good. It works out for you. There's no there's no negative to that. But uh, as a player, thinking about consent, that's a little icky. Yeah. Not to get too off topic, but I've been listening to this. It's a Harry Potter reread podcast for lapsed fans, I think is how they describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Shrieking Shack. And I am... Just now in the middle of them um, going back through book four, Goblet of Fire, where the unforgivable curses come up, which in that book, you know, and apparently in J.K. Rowling's mind, the three worst things are outright killing people, mm-hmm. torturing people and basically mind control. Yeah. And the I don't know, the mind control thing stands out. Yeah. She makes the point over and over that it's one of the worst things you can do is take away someone's agency. I mean, it's pretty darn bad. I mean, I don't want to agree with JK too hard, just as a brand. Mm, yeah. But, I mean, I think there is something, like, inherent to, like, my thoughts are me. My ability to choose what I do is me. If you take that away from me, then 
then you have forced my body or my mouth to do something that I didn't want to do. Mm. And that is, I mean, less bad than killing me, but it is inherent to like myself, to the, the essence of me that you've extracted this thing from me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. I would prefer people don't, (laughs) I'm glad that's not something that is actually real, um, that we could do. And it's not going to be used for like, I mean, Geralt kind of uses it for, I don't know, just basic detective work. But this is something that uh, seems like menacing in its potential. Yeah. And that, I think, doesn't really get explored. Well, I'm trying to think. This game, there's so many opportunities for it to happen. And a lot of them are based on if you have leveled that skill enough to um, apply to, you know, whatever conversation with whoever you're having. Because, I mean, maybe this is a whole other weird factor of it, but um, basically its effectiveness is, you know, related to the difference between your skill in that category and the relative intelligence of whoever you're trying to use it on. Yeah. For those following along at home, it's a magical sign called Axie, A-X-I-I. But... Yeah, there are at least a couple situations where people see you do it and they're like, hey, they're always like, this is how everyone in The Witcher sounds like, oh, yeah, Witcher mm-hmm. did magic on me mind, didn't yep. he? And then they're all, you know, they get all Get their rabbled. chimney sweep team together. Yeah, they take, they grab all the chimney sweep stuff and they, yeah. they try to beat you to death with it. And then from that <laughs> point, you know, you... Honestly, it it seems like and often is the more peaceful way to just like use your hand sign magic to get people to shut up or go the other way or tell you what you need to do to know so that they can move on. And that in in a lot of instances is to prevent a fight. But if people get wise to what's going on, they are obviously mad and it causes a fight, which invariably leads to you lopping most of their limbs off. Yeah. And that doesn't seem fair. I mean, they're, they've got a fair reason to be a little annoyed. And then you're just, you're just killing them for it. Or at least, you know, doing more magic to appease them, to make them like, feel like they're fine with it, to distract them. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Let's let's put a pin in this all of this agency stuff. Yeah, because we're already going. We've been talking for a long time, and we're gonna have to split this episode into two again. So I guess you're welcome, listeners. You're welcome. But let's wrap up with just the last thing about Vesemir, who is basically your dad. Sweet, sweet Vesemir. Vesemir to me feels like an uncle who. Like, someone who isn't, who, like, never had kids, but is, like, pretty good with kids, and then, like, had to just get good at them to just keep them from, like, I don't know, like a, like a, like a substitute teacher <laughs> or something. Yeah. Um, in that, like, he's seems to genuinely care. We're all mm. very upset when bad stuff happens to Vesmir. Yeah. And it's, like, parenthood at, I don't know. Like, trying to figure it out as you go kind of thing. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? The substitute teacher analogy um, is, like, 
it is very close because like he's got that thing that like only good substitute teachers kind of have because I don't know coming up there's basically usually the younger or even the older ones sometimes just like don't care whatever I'm giving you worksheets and like goof off um just don't cause problems for me I don't and know good. and then there's the very stern substitute who's just like hassling you and um being uncool and you hate that yeah hate it um but there's the magical in between where if you're being cool we're all good we're all good and it's just having fun exactly it doesn't have to be as intense as your real teacher but also don't don't mess around too much yeah and there's like a switch that flips once you mess around too much they are serious and they've got a a sort of sternness that's hard to come by yeah 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 which i love and it's it's fantastic and you love it and you want it to come back and you never want it to go and you're sad when it does and there you go yeah vesemir he we already talked a lot about like the law of surprise and surprise children um which as i said it out loud it occurred to me that's you know in our world that's a whole thing that might happen but i'm referring to the phenomenon of invoking the law of surprise and then getting a child out of it they're called surprise children <laughs> which is which is uh worse for the child i think in this case potentially than just being like oh you're surprised i mean yeah. yeah different maybe not worse different it's definitely different yeah i guess it depends so this is it's a big it's you know an emotional moment in the game and like one of the main character scenes for um, Lambert, who is just a huge apple. <laughs> he's one of your two, like, Witcher brothers, and he's just such a f- ass. They're not all good. No. They can't be. Yeah, but, you know, you have to go on some mission with him, and you're talking it out on the way there, and it's a lot of back and forth ribbing and Geralt saying, gosh, what an asshole you are, Lambert. But, um... I don't know, somewhere along the way, you get to the point in the conversation where Lambert is, you know, you're talking with him, and I I think it's Geralt that asks, like, I don't know, what is it that you hate so much about Vesemir, or what is it with you two? And Lambert's thing is, you know, he's he was old enough to remember his life with his biological parents, and his father was um, an abusive piece of garbage kind of like the Baron, and every day he would pray for his dad to die, something like that, and eventually his dad was going to die. He happened upon some monster while walking home and was sure to be killed, except that Vesemir found him, killed the monster, saved his life, and subsequently got Lambert in in the whole Law of Surprise exchange, and... He hated him for that. And I guess I can't help but feeling like I might too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's... I, I think that... I mean, kind of coming back to consent, this is not like a the choice that I think he would have picked for himself. I mean, that's a, that's a fair resentment. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially being conscripted into, like, you know, joining the mutant army in the war against monsters. Yeah. No, it's a terrible... I wouldn't choose it for myself i wouldn't choose it for anyone else 
Geralt is cool as heck, but it's a terrible way to start your life. And there's a reason that there aren't, you know, like there's not more at the, at, at this point, they're not making more witchers. Um, right. So, which is good. <laughs> this is fantastic. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I guess it's just, you know, another picture of fatherhood. And I mean, as horrible as all the law of surprise stuff is and effectively like conscripting children into your, you know, your order of monster fighting magic people. That's, I mean, that's sort of a product of who Vesemir is and what the whole like nature of witchers is not to excuse it, but that's just like, what do you do? I guess. And there's an argument to be made for there being some nobility to that. Sure. And I think it also, you know, the idea that, like, these characters are not uh, good or bad. I mean, I do think that the game, that the story in general tries to kind of paint these characters as um, kind of existing in this kind of gray gray zone. Mm. That as much as Vesemir is a father figure, he's also, as the older generation, responsible for the, the younger generation being there. He brought them into that world and may have, like you know, taught them to be good at being a witcher, but they are still witchers and that sucks. So uh, yeah. 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 But I don't know. If nothing else, it's just another view of like a kind of fatherhood and I guess a lens into like the sort of basically father child relationship that can occur when you and your father have um very different ideas about what your life should be. Yeah. But in the end, spoilers, Vesemir gets killed by someone from the Wild Hunt. Aww. But uh, Lambert is the most broken up about it. I mean, got complicated feelings. Yeah. Sorry, bud. Yeah. Gotta feel those feels. Yeah, it happens. Um, gosh, all right. We've talked about a lot of stuff. Do we need to wrap anything else up here? Uh, No. I think I'm unfortunately like mostly done with my notes. So I'm excited for whatever you want to talk about in this next episode. (laughs) Oh gosh. I have no idea. I'm scared now. Um, Yeah, we'll figure it out. Okay. We're gonna, um, we're just gonna cut this off here. Listeners and make this somewhat less ridiculously long and more digestible in parts. So we're going to say goodbye for now and we will be back very soon to talk about i don't know um the game's thoughts on religious zealotry and persecution uh and a lot of cool stuff a lot of fun light-hearted stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. keeping it light yeah check that out but for now this has been pac-man search for meaning listen 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 to us rate us on itunes yeah, yeah, or yeah. itunes isn't real anymore i mean i guess it is it whatever kind of is, but apple podcasts Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Please. Give a review only if it's five stars. Five stars. Um, And yeah, I'm Pan. Goodbye. I'm Hannah. Goodbye. Goodbye.